This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And uh, good morning. This is the sous chef of The Garden Show, Frank Proctor. Nice to have you uh, tuning our way. And I say our way. I better include <laughs> the gal who, who's responsible for all of this stuff. And that would be Charlie Dobbin on the phone line from Prince Edward County, where I hope it's as beautiful a morning there as it is here in Toronto, Charlie. Not to mention the first day of spring. Yay! Yeah. Oh my gosh, everybody's so darn excited and anxious to get to oh. the warmer weather. In fact, I, I just had uh, Jeremy in our newsroom print out a copy of the uh, weather forecast for us. And by gosh, you know, today and tomorrow are going to be nice and sunny and warm. 14 degrees today. Shorts, getting out my shorts. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> my gosh. Well, look, let me get the phone numbers uh, taken care of because we right. want folks to call in with their questions. Um, in Toronto, call 416 360 0740. Anywhere in the province, toll free at 1 866 740 4740. Our little mantra is, of course, call early, call often. One question per call. If you happen to be a first time caller, let Carlos, our Operator, no, he'll pass the word along to me, and then just before you get to the air, you'll get your garden wings. There you and go. You get some exercise. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, we've got a quite a show lined up for a special guest coming along a little bit later on. Yeah, a guest who's been with us in the past. Her name is Nikki Jabour. Mm-hmm. She's joining us from Halifax in about half an hour. Ah, that's great. We'll find out what the weather's like on the East Coast as well. <laughs> and uh, I guess, uh, well, how about uh, the farm right oh, the farm, your your country property, the estate. Oh, yeah. My farm. <laughs> how's, well, it, how's it going? You know what? It's it's coming, right? Mm-hmm. Things are slowly waking up. It's It's been slow. It's been very cold and windy here. The wind is going to be my killer. I just, I've never, ever gardened in such wide open windy location so this is probably going to be my biggest learning curve is figuring out how to grow things in so much wind but um yeah the bulbs are starting to pop out of the ground little crocuses are showing their little noses and um you know slowly usually you would expect to have seen them you know weeks ago but it's again it's just been so windy here but i did see some i've seen some great birds i saw a heron the other day i've had woodpeckers at my feeders which is very exciting Saw some cardinals and saw bluebirds. I mean, this is really great because I am. Um, uh, it's been very slow, kind of bringing the birds back back to the land. So it's happening. Well, it's kind of funny. We've got two Canada geese who have uh, adopted the front lawn. Oh, no. Yeah, just outside the the sliding doors. And I thought they were going to come up on the deck. But these guys, uh, I think they're lovers. And they've they've taken Uh, off from the flock and uh, are on a little bit of a honeymoon. I don't know what the deal is. But it's so funny. They they, uh, seem to be all uh, alone, as it were. Um, The flocks that fly over, got a 15 20 you know at a time but these guys no no they they're completely divorced from that 
Unbelievable. Well, anyway. That's cool. I think it's kind of sweet that they've moved into your honeymoon cottage yeah, to have their own honeymoon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, at, we better take a bit of a break, Charlie, mm-hmm. and uh, get a word or two from our sponsors and then come back because we have folks on the line wait, waiting uh, to chat with you, okay? All righty, back in just a moment, The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I hope you're all prepared here for a lot of advice-giving stuff. Uh, We've got a call in from Judy, calling in from Stratford, as a matter of fact. Good morning, Judy. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I need some help. I'm trying to grow some peppers from seeds. Mm -hmm. And we took the seeds from our peppers last year, and we dried them, put them down in our cold room for the winter. Mm-hmm. And we went and bought soil at the greenhouse that they start their stuff in. I've got it in one of those heated propagators with the mats. Wow. And we planted 50 seeds, and we got 10. We tried again. We got none. And they were those jumbo peppers, red peppers, and green peppers. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> so you're not getting any germination at all? The first time we planted 50 seeds, we got 10. And After that, we've got nothing. Huh. Uh, yeah, huh. And these are all saved from last year, from your, your seeds from last year. Yes, we got okay. the peppers. So the thing about seeds and growing seeds, like saving seeds, is that depending on what variety of pe- peppers you grew last year, they might have been a, a cultivar or a hybrid, depending on, again, on the, if you, I'm not sure if you saved the name or the tag or anything. No. But they often will not breed true. So meaning you will not get seeds to grow to be the exact same plants as the parents. Right. Uh, it's only open pollinated and, and non-selected usually peppers where you can get that to happen. So I would be inclined to, to definitely grow on what you've got growing. I mean, peppers are, are like so many seeds. It's, it's, as you know, they need that humidity. They need um, heat. It always speeds things up. A good seed starting mix. Sterile conditions, so everything's got to be clean, um, you know, washed if it's been, re- if you're reusing anything. And, um, and then, and wait, and of course the seed, pepper seeds go just below the surface of the soil and we mist them to moisten them and then put a hood or plastic over top to hold in that humidity. But <clears throat> otherwise, um, yeah, it's just going to come down to the viability of the seeds. So I'd be inclined, you, did you want to grow a lot of pepper plants this year? Like, Probably about 20. Yeah. So, if I were you, I would don't hesitate to purchase a brand new package of peppers, okay. or maybe you have a like the Stratford's got some great gardeners. You might you probably have some seedy Saturday event or seedy Sunday event, unless it's maybe already happened uh, to do some seed swapping, and you might be able to get a hold of some great seeds there from a, somebody else, another gardener. But um, I, yeah, like I say, I'd be inclined to um, buy some fresh ones. Okay, so are some seeds sterile? I heard you talking about seeds that were sterile. Was it last week? Could some of these be sterile that they won't grow, or is it just they're not good? Is there some way you can tell? Uh, no. <clears throat> no, but excuse me, one of the things people will do is they'll do like a germination test, mm-hmm. and they'll just do that in between two moist pieces of paper towel okay. and, and lay 
Usually we'll go like five seeds or 10 seeds, put them on moist paper towel, just right on the, the kitchen counter, you know, um, maybe on a plate on the bottom and then another plate over top just to keep the moisture in and then check on them. And, and what you do is you, you do your quick research, which of course I don't have at the tips of my fingers, on how many days it typically takes to germinate pepper seeds. Mm-hmm. It's usually seven to 10 days with uh, annual seeds like peppers. And then, um, yeah, it, after 10, 12 days, you count how many, how many have actually germinated inside that paper towel. Uh, if you've got zero at that point, then you say, well, these are bum seeds, really. Okay. Um, I, and I brought my stay- basis in last week, like you said, and it's flowering beautifully. Thank you. Oh, good stuff. Well, I was going to say, stay tuned because Nikki Jabour is joining us in a little while, and she is a vegetable specialist. She okay. grows so many vegetables. She might have a tip for you on, on what's going on with those pepper seeds. Okay, we listened to the whole show. Thank you so much for your help. Thanks, Judy. Bye-bye. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> speaking of folks who listen, uh, have a nice note here from Christy Cowell, who says, Hi, Charlie, my husband Larry and I enjoy listening to you and Frank every week. Always pick up some interesting facts. Our question is regarding the transplanting of a skinny red maple tree. It was in my mother's backyard, and she wouldn't let us touch the tree, but now our daughter and her family live there. They want to move it away from a fence. The tree grew in the spot from a magic seed and has really started to take hold. The problem is... The new neighbors in the back have put up a new wood fence, and this tree's trunk is about you know, six to eight inches away from the fence. The trunk, this sounds like a pretty sizable tree, is about four inches wide, and the tree is about eight feet tall. Uh, we want to move this tree uh, forward a few feet away from the fence. We really do want it to give it a growing area, but uh, how to transplant, transplant this beautiful tree? How wide to dig, how deep to dig, et cetera. And she says, by the way, the soil is like clay. So. Yeah. Mm. Hmm, that makes hard digging when it's like clay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. It does sound like a sizable tree. And it has obviously been there for a while. The trunk is about four inches wide. And if a new fence went in, you know what happens when we start doing construction around plants? We end up doing damage to the, the roots of things like mm-hmm. trees because the roots always go further than we think. And then there's all that compaction when people are, you know, walking and digging and, and piling soil all over the place. So I'd be fairly aware of the fact that moving a tree that's been subjected to that kind of activity might be more stressful than the tree can survive. But if you really want to move it, and I don't blame you, it'd be nice to get it a little further from the fence. Always in the case of transplanting, and of course, transplanting in the spring is fine. Transplanting in the fall is, in some cases, almost better, late summer. But you're going to pre-dig the hole you're moving into. So if it's clay, you're going to get out your pickaxe and and make sure the soil is nice and moist. Uh, Pre-dig a hole so that the the hole, of course, you're going to lift as big a root ball as you can possibly manage when you're moving this tree. So it's going to be a minimum of two feet across and 12 16, 18 inches deep. So it's going to be a sizable ball that you are going to attempt to lift. So you're going to prepare the hole, you know, the new hole of a size such as that. You are going to mix in the existing clay if it's a poor soil with some quality soil. There's arguments either way on just using existing soil, but if it's a real clay soil, get some, some compost, get some organic material in there, lighten up that clay a bit. Make sure the tree is well watered. Dig as big a root ball as you can possibly lift, and when you lift it, have multi-people there so that when it's being lifted, the soil and the roots stay together. 
Uh, sometimes I'll use an old piece of burlap or sheet or something like that, and I'll actually literally wrap that, that fabric around the root ball so that when you do the move, the soil does not fall away from the roots because that's, that's your killer. If the soil, if the roots are exposed and the soil falls away, there's so much root damage that it just won't work. So keeping that root ball as intact as possible, get it into that new location, plant it a little bit high because you know it's going to sink and, and settle. And of course, ultimately you want it to be at the same level that it was growing. You're going to water thoroughly. Do not fertilize the first year. Stake it if there's if there's a bit a lot of wind there, help it get stabilized for the first season, and consider fertilizing the following year. Um, but stick with your um, if you want to put some bone meal in as part of the move, uh, but stick with some good quality organic material and don't do any kind of fancy uh, fertilizing for the, at least one the first the first year. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm um, looking at our clock here, and we are expecting our chat with uh, Nikkei Jaipur uh, from Halifax. So uh, let's take a little commercial break here. That will allow Carlos, our operator, to contact uh, Nikki and get her all lined up to have a chat with you and, and myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back in just a couple of moments here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, I'm going to ask Connie and uh, Helen, who are waiting online, to have a question uh, shot to you, uh, to hang tight. We'll be be back to you. But we do have from uh, Halifax uh, right now, Nikki Jabour online. Good morning, Nikki. Hey, good morning, guys. Thank you for having me. Hey, how's things in Halifax? You know what? We got a dump of snow yesterday on the last day of winter. Talk about going out with the bang. We got 20 centimeters, although the next week, I know, the next week looks amazing. So I I hope it all melts. But you know what? What are you going to (laughs) do? Well, and you know what? It's interesting because it's so clear and sunny here. You're going to get our weather, I guess, in a couple of days. Yeah, I hope so, because I'm ready for spring, Charlie. (laughs) Let me tell you. But you've been growing year-round. I do. I've been growing around for probably around 20 years or so. So, again, I'm just in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Um, I don't have any heated structures, but I use things like my, I have a polytunnel. I use cold frames. I make these miniature greenhouses. I call mini hoop tunnels over some of my raised garden beds. So, yeah, I even deep mulch things like carrots and parsnips and beets so we harvest all winter long. There's quite a bounty you can enjoy, even when it's snowy outside. I know. I've seen some of your posts on Instagram. It's amazing what you're harvesting in the depths of winter out there in Halifax. <laughs> uh, thank you. You know, it's a lot of fun, and I love the fact that I can, you know, still harvest vegetables when it's freezing cold. It's, it's fantastic, and of course, it saves us money on our grocery bills, which is always awesome. You know, okay. I remember, Nikki, uh, when you visited us during uh, Canada Blooms, uh, yeah. uh, well, a couple of seasons ago, I know of course that you are an author of several books but you've got a new one out now called growing undercover can you tell us all about that yeah i missed you guys i really miss canada blooms i'm really (laughs) hoping next year we can all do this again in person fingers crossed Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah growing undercover just came out uh, a couple months ago and it basically talks about all of the sneaky ways that i managed to to grow more food and, you know, not just extend the season into winter or plant earlier in spring, which I do, um, but also protect from pests like cabbage worms and cucumber right. beetles and deer, which I deal with on a daily basis. And even yeah. using a lot of these covers, they create microclimates around your vegetables, so you'll get a bigger bounty from those crops. 
Um, so I like to think of them as garden insurance. So this, this book focuses on, on all the things and all the different ways I do that and all the different covers you can use in your gardens. And it's well, very beautifully photographed. It's you know, really well explained. So good on you. I think that this is a book anybody could learn stuff from, including me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, Charlie, but thank you very much. Yeah, we had a Halifax-based photographer. In the past, my publisher has sent photographers up here from, like, New York and from, you know, Alabama to do photographs in my garden. But, you know, finally we've got a local photographer, and he is fantastic. Um, okay. And, yeah, I couldn't have been happier with the job they did. No, yeah, because it's year-round photography. Like you know, you're working away doing things in every season in this book. Hey, okay, so here's a, cucumber beetles are something that a lot of people struggle with here in Ontario. So you know, everything looks good, and then the crop just completely you know dies on the vine uh, mid to late summer. And certainly, I imagine you're using row covers early in the season to keep the beetles from infesting uh, the, the crop with any kind of diseases, which is ultimately what really kills the, the plant. But, you, but knowing that they're insect-pollinated plants, how do, you, how do you work that out? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, that's something I talk about because I've been giving lots of talks on growing undercover, and I mm-hmm. mention this specifically because so many of us battle these issues. So mm-hmm. cucumber beetles and even, like, potato bugs, you know, or, mm-hmm. or squash bugs, this all applies to them as well. So if you're growing something, yeah, I do use row covers um, mm-hmm. early in the season. So as soon as I transplant... Um, you know, and I make sure to crop rotate as well because I don't want, you know, to mm-hmm. plant my cucumbers in the same place from year to year. But then mm-hmm. as soon as I transplant or sow my seeds, I use a, a, like a lightweight row cover or an insect barrier fabric over top. And then they will grow probably for about 30 or 40 days um, until they're a decent size. And as soon as I start to see flowers that are ready to open, mm-hmm. I take those covers off. And by that point, generally the plants are large enough that they're, you know, large and healthy enough to withstand a slight infestation. But honestly, more often, those cucumber beetles emerged in late spring, didn't right. find anything to eat, and headed off to my neighbors. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. guys, but that's <laughs> what happens. We like that. <laughs> right? Move, move so. on. <laughs> oh, yeah. So timing is everything. Row covers early in the season until the plants are flowering. Stay on top of that, of course, and then get them uncovered so that pollination can take place. Yeah, but if you're growing something like cabbage or broccoli mm-hmm. for cabbage worm prevention mm-hmm. and using a row cover, they don't need to be pollinated. Right. You can leave those covers on until you harvest. So, right. you know, in some ways, it can be very low maintenance. And you can lay them directly on top of the crops, or you can float them on hoops to make mm-hmm. it look a little tidier. Yeah, no kidding. You know, and you're, sorry, go ahead, So I was just going to say, uh, Nikki, that uh, Charlie and I were discussing your work uh, before coming on the air, and uh, she was telling me about some of the uh, plants that you deal with are not normally, uh, well, uh, available in Canada, or one would not think of them normally. You, you deal with uh, plants from other countries, and, yeah. and I'm wondering if you might address that a, a little bit. Yeah, you know, that was the topic of my third book, Veggie Garden Remix, which just kind of, I think, celebrated so many of the different kinds of edible plants, like vegetables and herbs we grow now in Canada, but, you know, traditionally weren't grown here. Um, You know, a lot of them were brought in by our immigrant populations, and my, my husband, you know, grew up in Lebanon, uh, was born in Lebanon before I came to Canada. And so that, you know, I kind of started on that road by wanting to grow vegetables for, you know, his parents and his family, things Mm -hmm. they would recognize, but you don't often see in Canada, whether at the seed companies or in the grocery stores. So that kind of got me started there. And then I started growing Japanese vegetables and Indian (laughs) vegetables and Mexican vegetables and so many wonderful vegetables that 
you know, grew in my garden. But sometimes, of course, we needed a slightly longer season, and that's mm-hmm. where I was able to use garden covers, like row covers, like mini hoop tunnels, to protect them and give them a little bit of extra heat so I could enjoy that harvest. You're a United Nations grower. That's what you are. <laughs> well, I, it sounds right. like Nikki's next book probably should be a recipe book for how to work with these veg- you know, international vegetables and great recipes for making them tasty. Right. Yeah, I mean, one, one of my favorite things to grow, and I'm looking at them right now under my gr- my uh, grow lights, is za'atar, which is a Lebanese uh, like herb spice mix, and you kind of spread it on a dough that you know, like a pizza dough, uh, mm-hmm. and you bake it in the oven, so it's like a flatbread covered in this sort of serene oregano, sesame seeds, sumac mixture, and it is the best breakfast you'll ever eat. And you know, I'm looking at it right now. My kids are like, "When is when are we going to be able to eat that again?" And I'm like, oh, "You got to give me a couple months. I'm sorry." <laughs> it's got to grow still. <laughs> All right, my mouth is. Watering. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, you mentioned deep mulching uh, some of the vegetables. Okay, when you deep mulch, say carrots or, or rutabagas, you know, a, a, a root crop, would that be a crop that's in one of your poly tunnels or poly houses and then deep mulched under that? And then you can go in in January, February, nothing is frozen solid? Yeah, well, you can totally do that. Like, I mean, I, you know, I, in my polytunnel right now, I, I have deep mulched artichokes because they're not mm. hardy in Nova Scotia, so I deep mulch them for winter, and then those roots overwinter, and I get an extra early crop of artichokes. But you don't have to. I mean, you have a garden bed and your, you know, outdoor garden, raised bed, in-ground, doesn't matter. If you have carrots or, you know, turnips or beets or anything like that, at the end of the season, just deep mulch them with about a foot or a foot and a half of straw or shredded leaves, and then we harvest those all winter long. So you don't have to do that inside a greenhouse or polytunnel. You can just do it in your open garden and enjoy months of that crop when, you know, again, traditionally in Canada, we're not harvesting yeah. carrots in January, but you can. <laughs> I guess depending on the kind of winter we have and the kind of location you have. Because, <laughs> you know, that wind, I, where I'm now gardening, because I moved about a year and a half ago from the GTA, the Toronto area, uh, further east towards, um, I'm quite close to Belleville now, uh, just south in Prince Edward County. So it's, it's, it's milder because I'm closer to the lake, but it is very flat and very, very windy. And also I have things like deer and coyote and foxes and all kinds of wonderful creatures I've never dealt with. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I have deer and groundhogs and chipmunks and squirrels, although I don't have Ontario squirrels. I know they're extra scary, um, <laughs> but I have bunnies. I have so many things. So, yeah, I do have a deer fence around my garden. Um, and, you know, my garden's at the top of a hill as well, so it's pretty exposed. And we get a lot of nor'easters on the East Coast and hurricanes. Mm-hmm. So I try to make everything I do strong enough to withstand, well, whatever Mother Nature's going to throw at it. <laughs> just, a, just a little note here uh, for folks who might just have tuned in and they're saying, gee, who, who is this speaking, and what is her book? It is Nikki Jabour, and the last name is spelled J-A-B-B-O-U-R. The book is called Growing Undercover. Who's the publisher, uh, Nikki? Story, yeah, Story Publishing uh, in the U.S. They've been my publisher for all four of my books, and i got to tell you, they are a creative, incredible bunch of folks, and I love working with them, because everything I write or do, they just make ten times better. <laughs> well, isn't that great? And so it's available at all fine bookstores, I would take it. Absolutely. All bookstores across North America and beyond, uh, wow. as well as online, for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Thank and you. Yeah. for people that want to learn more about you, you don't, you don't actually have a website, but you are very active through SavvyGardening.com. 
Yeah, that's my website, actually. I own that with uh, Tara Nolan, who's in Dundas, Ontario, as well as yeah. an American writer. The three of us own it. It's much easier when you split the work between three people. No kidding. Because <laughs> yeah, so, uh, we have uh, almost two million people a month visiting us now on SavvyGardening.com. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and, of course, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I, I'm uh, everywhere. I, am, I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. And we know Tara. Frank, you remember Tara. She came to the studio. It was actually about a year ago. She was into the studio just before the big shutdown started, and she was rolling along with a broken uh, foot or leg oh, or yes. ankle because she'd had that accident. Yeah. Yeah, and she has she had a new book come out last March, so that's probably what she was talking about gardening exactly. in the front yard. She's fantastic. Exactly, that's why we had her on. And um, oh, I just flashed on something I wanted to ask you. What was it? Well, let me jump in with a little question that's on my mind. Being a non-gardener as I am, <laughs> if if uh, you had to recommend. Uh, say easy vegetables for a first-time gardener. Yeah. What's what vegetables would you recommend that folks give a try to? Well, I know you guys are aware of the fact that we are having a gardening boom in North America, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so a lot of people are just getting into it or coming back to it. And you know, I certainly recommend sticking to easy-to-grow vegetables for the the first couple seasons, anyway. Things like bush beans and peas and cucumbers, zucchini and cherry tomatoes. Those are all very easy to grow, and you know, you can grow vegetables anywhere. I mean, you can have a garden bed. Raised beds, of course, are very popular now. But even containers or fabric containers you can buy at different mm-hmm. garden supply stores. You can grow in buckets. Just make sure yeah. they're drainage holes. Drill some in there. But you can grow anywhere, whether you're on a balcony or whether you have a little piece of land. Just look for the sun. You know, six-plus hours is good. Eight-plus hours is great. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and again, stick to the easy-to-grow vegetables and, and have fun. You know, enjoy yourself because it really is fun growing your own food. Oh, there's no question. Everybody was wanted to be a gardener last year, and I don't think it's going to be any different this year. The <clears throat> seed suppliers couldn't keep up, and, and yeah. we're just having the best year ever, as were many of the garden centers, which is absolutely great that uh, people want to get dirty and grow their own. I love it. And, you know, I talked to seed companies last week, three of them, and they tell me they're busier this year than they were last year, which is insane because, as you know, last year there were long waits to get seed, and it was really hard to do. And Uh I'm so happy that they're busy, just as busy or busier this year as well. Yeah, one of our sponsors is Stokes Seeds, and you probably know Stokes. They're out of St. Catharines. And last year, because they are also suppliers of the commercial grower, not just the, the hobby home gardener, last year they had to prioritize their commercial shipments out to those growers which delayed the uh, the hobby gardeners. So I think what happened is um, home gr- home growers, home gardeners got uh, more proactive this year and started ordering earlier. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, you know what? I think that's exactly it because the bump started in like November. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great. Like, I, I got to get my seeds. And oh yeah, they're busy. They are definitely busy. There's a lot lots going on there. So what what are you excited about? What are you growing that's new and exciting in, in your garden this year? Oh my gosh, I'm excited about everything. But like, uh, you all, you're also probably familiar with Emma Biggs, the 15 year old gardening yes. superstar from Toronto. Well, she's been yeah. sending me tomato seeds and feeding mm-hmm. my addiction. So I've got some really cool varieties from Emma I'm looking forward to growing. And one of the ones she sent me recently was called Lebanese Mountain. And it is, you know, tying it into my, my husband's Lebanese heritage. It is just the most wonderful slicing tomato ever. Uh, my mother-in-law, she cries almost like every time I give her one because they're so beautiful <laughs> and delicious. So I'm definitely growing more of those. I've got fun things like ground cherries and cucumelons. Um, but I'm also obsessed with cucumber melons, which you know oh. we often call Armenian cucumbers. And they come from Italy and the Middle East. And they look like cucumbers, but botanically they're melons. And they are like a cucumber, mild flavor, 
so delicious. And I actually, I just ordered some from a seed company in Ontario because I can't find them in Nova Scotia. So mm-hmm. there's so many options out there. I would say definitely everybody should try at least one new thing every year in their gardens just because there's such variety and so many fun flavors available. Oh, you're right. And you're right about Emma and her tomatoes. She's a wild woman. She's got like hundreds of varieties of tomatoes on the. <laughs> Steve, her dad's mad at me because every time I talk to them, which is pretty often, I keep telling them, where's the greenhouse going? And I, you know what? I think it's going to go in their driveway. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to. There's nowhere else for it. They're on, they've got the top of the garage covered in straw bales, the driveway full of straw bales. They're gardening everywhere at their place. They are doing a really good job using a suburban lot very, very well. There's no oh. question. So inspiring. Yeah, I think they're just fantastic. And Emma's only got only 15. I, mean, I know. And she's so well-spoken. She was on our show when she was 13 when she first, uh, the first, the book came out that she had first uh, written with her, her and her dad. And I was so impressed with how mature and, like I say, well-spoken she was on radio. She's very, very... You, uh, you know, Nikki, I'm sorry to say, uh, the the enemy of, for folks like us is time. And I'm looking at the clock and we're up to our next break. We have to kind of uh, shut our conversation down, which is terrible, darn it. But uh, <laughs> once again, we're, our, our special guest is Nikki Jabour. The book is called Growing Undercover, available everywhere. And it sounds like a, a must-buy for anybody interested in gardening. Yeah, and this is Nikki's latest of four books. So she's got some mm-hmm. great books out there. And follow. You can definitely check in on Nikki at Savvy Gardening, S-A-V-V-Y, gardening.com. And thanks a bunch, Nikki. Guys, listen, I feel like spring is officially here now because I've <laughs> talked to you. So thank you for helping Good me kick stuff. off spring today. And uh, I wish you a wonderful season. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. I, I hope note, your uh, snow melts soon. <laughs> a note to Helen, who has been patiently waiting on the line as well. Uh, Connie, we're coming to you before your questions to uh, shoot to Charlie here on The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, let's uh, be joined by a gal who's very patient and has been waiting on the line for so long. Helen in Toronto, good morning. Good morning. 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 Yeah, go ahead, Helen. Hello, Helen. Oh, dear. Do we lose her? After all that. Oh. Oh, golly. Oh, she's still online, apparently. Helen, good morning. No? Okay. Do you know what I'm going to do? We'll switch tack here, so we'll try to reconnect. In the meantime, Frank has reached for the bell. Hey, that's a first-time caller bell for Connie calling in from Burlington. Good morning, Connie. Uh, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Morning. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm a first-time vegetable gardener this year with my friend. Uh, we just got a community plot in Burlington. Nice. My question is, some people up there grow their tomato plants in pots. Mm-hmm. Others grow them directly in, in the garden and put cages. Mm-hmm. Which is the best way to grow uh various types of uh, tomatoes in a pot or in the ground? And what's the difference? Oh, okay, good question. Um, if It depends what kind of tomato you're growing. Remember that there are tomatoes that are called indeterminate and some are called determinate. The difference is that an indeterminate tomato would be like a beef steak. They get very, very tall. Yes. They need to be staked or caged or both. And they are get so big that they often aren't happy in a pot. Okay. So they were the, the indeterminate, the big tomatoes. 
uh, typically are grown in the ground. And it's mm-hmm. got to be a good quality, you know, highly organic, fertile soil for tomatoes to do well. Mm-hmm. In, in the smaller determinate tomatoes, they're the ones that will grow to a certain height and then proceed to flower and produce fruit for the rest of the season until frost wipes them out. They, they can be different sizes. Um, some are as tiny as something called a tiny tim, and some get bigger than that, up to about a meter tall, uh, with sometimes full-size tomatoes. They can quite often and easily be grown in pots. There's one called patio, and patio tomato was, was bred and selected for its ability to live in a pot on the patio. And there are good-sized tomatoes that will grow on that particular plant, but one of the challenges to growing in containers is they dry out faster than plants do in the ground. So it, depending on how far you are from the plot that you've now got your name on uh, for, the, for your gardening and whether you'll be able to get there daily and water if it gets really hot. Because if you've got above ground, plants in, in containers above ground, they will likely need to be watered every single day if we get into real hot, dry, particularly hot, dry, windy uh, summer like we did last year. Okay, we plant uh, beef steak. We want to do cherry tomatoes and, mm-hmm. you know, just start slow for our first time. And mm-hmm. we're just wondering which way. Now, when you grow tomatoes this year, you can't plant them back in the same spot next year. Is that correct? It's not a good idea. Okay. It's, uh, it's always a good idea to rotate. If you possibly can, then do so. And, and if your plot isn't big enough to truly rotate, then, then absolutely, you're right. You might go in ground one season and then up into containers the next season as part of your rotation. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, and you have a great weekend. And thank you for uh, checking in with us here on uh, the Garden Show. Um, we got a note here from Roger Smith. Says, "Hi, Charlie. I live in Alora, Ontario, and with many of my neighbors, my lawn is mostly brown midsummer. Mm. I've been researching top dressing with white Dutch clover seed. Now, there seems to be many pluses for clover over grass. Without planting on my part, uh, mm. there's quite a bit of clover coming into my lawn already. So, what your opinion?" of this over-grass alternative? Yeah, great question, Roger. Uh, I'm a huge fan of incorporating clover in with turf grasses. Here's a whole bunch of reasons why. I know some people go, no, 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 it's a weed. Remember, what is a lawn? A lawn is a green foreground for your gardens beyond. Uh, it's a, it's the base of your palette of your garden. It's where the kids can roll and play and, and, you know, wrestle. Uh, you can play some croquet perhaps. Either way, a, a lawn is not something that, you know, needs to be, you know, anything other than a nice green flat palette. So what does clover do that turf grasses don't do? Number one, clover is a, a member of the legume family and it adds nitrogen to the soil because clover, as all legumes can, can actually take nitrogen out of the air and change it into a form that they themselves can use. And as we know, nitrogen is an essential nutrient for all plants. So not as much fertilizer when you've got clover because they can fertilize themselves. They are drought tolerant, which is Roger's point. Midsummer, lawn is dormant and brown. Clover doesn't go dormant. It stays green through the entire season. It's got a very deep taproot and it's able to withstand drought and stay green. Um, because of that deep tap root, it actually will help break up compacted soils. It'll tolerate those, those old compacted soils and it'll break through with that tap root. So wonderful for that. It will outcompete weeds. So when a weed tries to move in and tries to take over from your, your turf grasses, 
that Clover just goes, you know, poop on you and <laughs> shoulders that weed right out of the way. Um, Clover is resistant to most of the diseases and pests that we struggle with, chinch bugs, white grubs, some of those pests that absolutely annihilate our lawns. It will, those things cannot touch clover. And the, uh, probably the next best thing is clover not only grows in the full sun, but it will also grow in the shade. So you really can't get much better than a lawn alternative than a wonderful white clover. Great recommendation from Charlie Dobbin. Now, Charlie, we have to take our next break here. A word to Ken calling in from Scarborough, first-time caller. Hang tight. You're going to get that bell ring in just a couple of moments here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Alrighty, Charlie Frankie has reached for the bell and... That's for Ken calling in from Scarborough. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, uh, Charlie and Frank. Morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question regarding uh, uh, another lawn-related question. Mm-hmm. And uh, what it is is uh, we have a patch of crabgrass that I'm trying to control, and I've got a bag of corn gluten. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question is when to apply it. Uh, the the advice that I get seems to be wait till the uh, to the to the temperature warms up and uh, do it two weeks before it germinates and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It can be all a bit much. I, all right, so here's the deal. It doesn't it's, tell me when the time is. No, and your timing to ask this question is very good, Ken, so thanks for calling. The um, things to realize about crabgrass is that we recognize crabgrass usually late in the summer, uh, early fall. It becomes a large plant with thousands of seeds, up to 60,000 seeds on any one plant. And they're very, very sneaky and able to send those seeds out because they grow flat on the ground and they flower right down flat. Then winter comes and that, that plant that you saw last fall dies in the winter. It is an annual plant and it does not survive. And so where you had crabgrass last fall will be bare earth right now. However, there's thousands of seeds out there. And so just depending on the weather, those seeds are poised and ready to go and fill in every little blank spot of soil that they can get their little uh, roots into. So the rule of thumb when it comes to controlling those seeds from germinating, so we want to stop those crabgrass seeds from actually growing, and the corn gluten will do that for you, is wait until the forsythia is starting to turn yellow. So the forsythia are those shrubs with the flowers before the leaves early in the spring, uh, probably sometime in the next two weeks, you'll start to see some forsythia turning yellow. And that's always the rule of thumb. When we start to see yellow on the forsythia, it's time to get the corn gluten out onto the land. And remember, though, when you get that corn gluten out, you're going to stop the crabgrass seeds from germinating and growing, but you're also going to stop any seeds from growing. So you can't put out some, you know, turf grass seeds and corn gluten at the same time because corn gluten is going to stop everything. Okay. So there's no way you can relate it to air temperature or soil temperature or anything like that? No, because it's all connected and it's all, uh, it's a process. So daytime, nighttime temperatures absolutely will impact soil temperatures in the spring, the amount of uh, precipitation we get. 
will have impact. Obviously, so will wind. So all that's why we use what are called phenot- um, phenotypical um, indicators for when to do certain things. So it's really hard to just say, oh, you know, on April 14th would be the right day to do that because it, it might be April 14th this year and it might be March 14th next year. Very much dependent on, on just the, how the spring is unfolding. Now, we've got a couple of really, really warm days coming and dry, and that is really going to promote the, um, you know, the, the movement of, of plant growth and the waking up of so many of our plants. So, it, it's, it's, like I say, it's very likely that you're going to be out there with the corn gluten sometime within the next two weeks. That's what I, I thought. I guess I better find a, a forsythius plant <laughs> exactly. somewhere around here and <laughs> yes, keep an eye on right. it. You have to pay attention. Or magnolia is not a bad idea. Magnolia plants are the ones with the big, huge flowers. Yeah. Those are going to start to fatten up. The buds will start to fatten up, and they'll crack, start to crack some color right around the same time as the forsythia. So maybe in your area, you might there might be a magnolia. Magnolia, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll keep on the lookout for it. Yeah, it's just a, you know, the the, the weather forecast for the for the next week shows uh, just nice warm weather for well into the end of the week, mm-hmm. and I'm beginning to wonder if maybe that's that should be about the time. So that's well, that's right. And I mean, it's not like the corn gluten is going to go bad if you put it on too early, but it will wash away if you put it on early and we get a big rain. Right, so that's right. your fun. That's where you don't want to waste it. So you want to make sure that you are putting the corn gluten down as those little um, crabgrass seeds are just starting to say, "Ooh, time to grow." <laughs> right. Oh, okay. thanks for your help. You're very welcome. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling in, Ken. And don't be a stranger. Yeah, exactly. You're always welcome here. <laughs> um, gee, I'm looking at the clock, and there's really not enough time to deal oh, with another question. We've wow. uh, pre- that pretty well run on a racetrack here. No kidding. Hey, um, like, let's talk. I was just listening to some of those commercials about, you know, vaccines and COVID nineteen. Yes. What, what's going on? Are, are you set up for a vaccine? Have you done yeah, it? I, it? I am. It was not an easy task. I want to tell you, <laughs> uh, but finally got through on the uh, line to sign up for the seventy-five plus. So there's a little secret let out of the bag. Uh, <laughs> Seventy. Uh, I'll be seventy-nine in uh, in May. But no, I've got a, I've got an appointment for Wednesday. At 9.40 at the Ray 20 Complex in uh, Newmarket. So I'll oh. be getting my first shot then. Excellent. So I did the same thing, except I don't actually have an appointment yet. I've, I'm on a waiting list to go to a drugstore right. in the, not far from me, sort of in the Kingston area, where the drugstores are doing the 60-plus group, uh, whoever wants to get in line to, to get going on their vaccine. So I'm totally looking forward to that as well. Exactly. Well, look, and you have a wonderful week. We'll look forward to redoing this show all over again. Well, we'll have different colors and different questions. We will. And actually, next uh, week we have another special guest joining us. Mark Cullen is on the show. So, uh, yeah, never a dull moment when it comes to the garden show, right, Frank? You got it, honey. (laughs) You take care till then, okay? And you too. Thanks so much. Thank you, Carlos, for all your help. Couldn't do any of this without Carlos, who presses the right buttons at the right time. And, uh, yeah, everybody, enjoy this beautiful week coming. Happy spring, and we'll see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.